week number 10 of our study in the book of James. Character references. Uh, Next Sunday, next Lord's Day is our last uh, week. We'll be looking at the very last section of Scripture in James 5. It's about um, the prayer of healing. And uh, it's kind of a controversial passage, so you won't want to miss that. But we will have a time next week where we have ministry together uh, around uh, that text. Uh, Today, a few weeks ago, the message that I gave was about the difference between um, uh, seeing and doing. The difference between hearing and doing. And both are important. We talked about the fact that hearing was about revelation. We hear the word. We understand it, right? And that's good. We need revelation. But that the doing part is um, transformation. And the idea is that that hearing gets into our hearts, our souls, and it changes the way we think about things, and it changes the way we live our lives. Today is one of those messages about um, transformation. And uh, as a result, uh, you will find that there's, uh, there's no place for sermon notes today. So I'd ask you to put your pencils and your pens away. Uh, certainly follow along with the uh, uh, sermon uh, little thing because it has all the scripture on it there that you're going to want to see. But today the message is more uh, existential. It's, uh, it's more about, uh, instead of understanding, it's more about believing and receiving. And uh, that would be my prayer for each of us uh, today. Uh, let's, let's pray. Father, um, my prayer, Lord, first of all, I'd ask the Spirit of God to just move among us and my prayer would be today that um, this word would be not only heard and understood, but it would be a, a transforming um, word in our lives today. Father, we, we need to hear this, but more than that, we need to know it, believe it, and uh, do it. And so, Father, I pray on our congregation today that your spirit would move among us and speak truth to each heart in life. And Father, may we feel the depth of this text today in our spirits. Uh, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Uh, So Jesus has been pretty, or James has been pretty rough on us these last ten weeks. Uh, His teaching has not been warm and fuzzy. His teaching is not about just love Jesus and everything will be sweet and lovely and peachy. That's not James' message. No, instead, he has been brutally honest with us. He says it's a war out there, whether it's A.D. 45 under Claudius the emperor or 2011 in Chandler, Arizona. It's brutal out there. It's hot out there. The persecution is great and the enemy is real. And it is a world that is set against the things of God. Bombs are falling. Bullets are flying. Believers are being carried away on stretchers. This war that we're in is real. And we are in the middle of it. And out of this, the question echoes out of this text. How do we survive? What do we do? as believers facing this world that is set against the principles and the philosophy of God. How do we survive in this world? Into these questions, 
James has spoken profound truth these last weeks. Um, and I put that in an extended metaphor that looks like this, and you'll recognize this. James says, you've got to decide whose side you're on. In a battle, <laughs> you've got to decide whose side you're on. Are you going to stand up in Christ and allow the life that is in you of Jesus to flow through you and be real in you and really transform everything you do and how you live? Are you going to be alive in Christ with that real living faith inside of you, what we call vertical living? Are you going to experience vertical living or are you going to bend a knee to the earth? Trying to extract from the world that which... It cannot provide. Uh, this is what we call bent living. Embracing uh, the world in settle, uh, settling your affection on the things that the world has set against God. Having a determined attachment to the world. Are we going to experience vertical living or bent living? That's the question that James is asking his readers so this contrast between vertical living and bent living, uh, Jesus says, James says to us, there's a choice. We can stand up into Christ and we can recognize that that designer bait that is floating in front of our nose, we can recognize that that designer bait is indeed bait and is not for consumption. It will not satisfy our soul. It is simply bait. It is temptation. And if we're standing tall in Christ, we recognize that, and we just simply say no. Or, do we bend a knee to the earth and see that designer bait as food that will satisfy us? We bend a knee to the earth, and we say, now this matters to me. This will satisfy me. This will fill me. We have a choice. Or we can stand tall, living in our faith in Jesus. And we can do that, and, and, and we can do that and know that this faith that is in us is alive. And anything that is alive gives life to something else. Did you know that? Anything that's living gives life to something else. So if this faith in us is alive, James says the product of that live faith is what? Good works. Every single time. If the faith in you is alive, you will see that as good works. Or we can bend a knee to the earth. And that dead faith in us listening and talking about faith, saying, yes, I believe, uh, saying all the right things, believing all the right things, but yet that faith is dead. Well, that, James says, that dead faith uh, gives birth to sin, and that sin, interestingly, gives birth to death. That's kind of a weird phrase. Or we can stand tall in our lives in Jesus Christ, and by doing that, we show no favoritism. We see all people as children of God. We see all groups of people and colors of people and types of people as ones for whom Jesus died. And we see no favoritism or we can bend a knee to the earth and show favoritism to gain an advantage or to gain a reputation. James says, or we can stand tall in Christ and we can speak life into people with our tongues. And we talked about marvel at the power of the tongue to set the course of a life for good or for evil. Marvel at the power of the tongue to do that. We can stand tall in Christ and speak words of life and affirmation to all people, even our enemies. Or we can speak words of death that will bring forth death as we bend the knee to the earth. 
Or we can stand tall in Christ and experience peace with ourselves and others and with God. Or we can bend a knee to the earth and experience ceaseless conflict in us, around us, and with God. We can stand tall into Christ with this unconditional surrender. Lord Jesus, you are my only hope. I surrender everything I have, all that I am, all that I believe to you. That unconditional surrender. Or we can simply settle our affection on things of the earth. And who will lift us up then? Only ourselves. Or we can stand tall in Christ and be generous towards God and towards others with all the resources that God has given us. Our time, our talent, our treasure. We can invest those resources in the kingdom of God and make a difference in the world. Or we can bend a knee to the earth and embrace those things to which we have come to believe are ours. Our time, our talent, and our treasure. And we can hold on to that in such a way that that literally rusts and corrodes and oxidizes to our soul which becomes an anchor that drops us even further on our knees bent to the earth. James says it's a war. Choose sides. It's Christ or the earth. Now, that's heavy. That's, that's just the introduction. And that's heavy. <laughs> so time for a light moment, okay? So uh, there's this man who dies, right? And, uh, and yeah, that's light, right? And so... Uh, uh, the angel comes to take this man to heaven. And uh, the angel said, it's time to go. You're, I know you're fired up because all eternity is going to be awesome. And it's just amazing. It's nothing like this world, this light and momentary affliction. So come on, let's go. We're ready to go. And the guy says, well, you know what? I would like to take one suitcase to heaven with me. And the angel said, that's highly irregular. We've never allowed that before. The guy said, you know what? But I, I just really think that I should be able to take one suitcase to heaven. The angel said, well, I've never seen that done before, but I'll talk to God and see what he says. So he goes to God and he says, God, this guy's requesting to bring one suitcase to heaven. And God says, now that is irregular. We've never experienced that before. But you know what? You know, I'm a God that's kind of flexible. Let's uh, let's 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 do something different. See what happens. OK, so tell the guy he can bring one suitcase to heaven. So the angel goes back and gives the man his good news. The man says, I wonder what I should put in my suitcase. He thinks and thinks. And finally, he gets on the idea that he knows is the right idea. I'm going to fill this suitcase with gold, with gold, bars of gold. And that way I'll have money for all eternity. It'll be awesome. I'm going to fill my suitcase with gold. So he does. And so he, the angel takes him up to the pearly gates and St. Peter's there waiting. And uh, Peter says, now, we've been waiting for you. We're glad that you're here. Uh, I hope you're going to have just an amazing time in heaven for all eternity. But what is that in your hand? And the guy said, it's a suitcase. Peter said, we don't bring suitcases into heaven. That We just don't do that. He said, well, God said I could. Peter said, we'll find out. So God, Peter goes to God and says, what about this schmo that thinks that he can bring a suitcase to heaven? God says, I'm trying to experiment. Let him bring it in. We'll see what happens. So Peter goes back to the guy and says, you're right. God said it's okay. Come on in to your eternal reward. So the guy walks into heaven. And as soon as he gets through the pearly gate, Peter says, hey, buddy, I'm very curious. What do you have in the suitcase? The guy said, check this out. He opens up the suitcase. Peter looks in and he is stunned at what he sees. He takes out a, a bar of gold and he holds it up and he said, you're bringing to heaven pavement. Are you kidding me? Really? You're bringing to, pavement to heaven. So uh, we have to be careful what we think we're taking to heaven. 
So open your Bible with me to James chapter 5. Uh, the text that uh, Anna read a few moments ago, James 5, 7 to 11 is our text today. Now we'll look at this in a few moments, uh, but I want to give us a framework for this teaching. By the way, if you didn't get that joke, ask somebody around you. Um, this study has been about choosing. And um, the spiritual question that the text, the text asks us is this. How are we going to use the resources of our lives? That's the question for James 5 and really for the entire book. How are we going to use the resources of our lives, our, our time, our talent, our treasure, our relationships? Uh, how are we going to treat other people? How are we going to use our money? Money's not bad, but how we use it can be good or bad. How are we going to speak to each other or to our enemies? How are we going to use the resources that God has given to us? So here's, here's the truth from James, and it's this. Life is short. Eternity is long. Now, it sounds profound, doesn't it? Aren't you proud of me for coming up with that? Life is short. Eternity is long. And because of this short life, it's important how we invest the resources of our lives that God has given us, like time, our heart, our money, our talents, our relationships. It's important how we invest those things because those things that we invest are going to show up in heaven with us, not gold bullion by any means. But by recognizing the importance of how we put resources into this world, we will avoid the Scrooge nightmare. The Scrooge nightmare from last week, where by death awakened, Scrooge hoarded the resources of his life. He had been bent to the earth all of his life. And then death awakened him, and he was just that close to stepping into eternity without planting any resources of his life in the things of the kingdom. James says, Life is a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. For these 60, 70, 80, 90 years, I read in the paper yesterday that George Beverly Shea, how many remember him? Uh, he was the soloist for the Billy Graham crusade for 60 years. He just got a Lifetime Grammy Award uh, for his amazing work. And in the paper it said he's 102 years old. 102 years old. Still singing. Uh, so for some of us, maybe, I hope it's not me, but for some of us, you may live to be 100 years old or 105. Who knows? I mean, pretty soon we're all going to be bionic anyway. Uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to have a second metal hip. And so, so, so God says, you're here on this earth. It seems like a long time. 100 years seems like a long time, but it's not. It's short. It's a vapor. It's a mist. And pay very close attention to how you invest the resources of your life in that short life. Here today, gone tomorrow. And in verse 1 of chapter 5, we looked at last week, it talked about the fact that there will be weeping and wailing in the end time. And what that means is if, if you have not invested the resources of your life in things of the kingdom, but you have been beneath to the earth and you have, you've invested them in you and you alone, then in that day, that death day or that vapor day, that when death awakens you, you'll discover that your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, and gold and silver has rusted or corroded or oxidized to you and become an anchor 
You have invested in things that cannot last and will not last. That's kingdom investment versus world investment. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Many of you are familiar with this passage. Listen to these words. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where you have invested the resources of your life, whether it's in the kingdom or in your own life and only your own life, makes every difference, not only in this life, but in the life to come. So what are we sowing into the earth and what are we sowing into the kingdom? Now, there's another passage. I won't take time to read it this morning, but it's from Matthew 25. Many of you are familiar with it. Um, when Jesus said, uh, uh, you know, when you gave someone a cup of cold water, when you helped someone, when you ministered to someone, it's as if you did it to me. So in that, in that text, what it's talking about is this, that the field is white unto harvest. Many situations and many people are ready to be harvested for the kingdom. People are near the gate. Now, that's why we talk a lot about in our church about investing and inviting, investing your life in the lives of people who don't know Christ uh, and loving them and being friending them and making them part of your life and, and then inviting them to take that step, whether it's bringing them to a church or to Easter service, inviting them to take that step. That's investing in the kingdom. Too many Christians hang out with too many Christians. We've got to stop hanging out with Christians all the time. Sometimes it's good. We need to be hanging out with people that don't know Christ. We need to be investing in the kingdom. So the field is fertile. It's ripe. And Jesus speaks into that message in Matthew 25, this word. Even a cup of cold water, something as simple and as painless and as costless as a cup of cold water, can make a huge difference when you invest it. That, that's, what, that's what Jesus is talking about. We don't realize the depth of how much it will bear, what fruit it will bear. It doesn't cost you anything. Now, here's the point of James in today's text. Sometimes we get to see the growth, the harvest. But sometimes we don't. Often we don't. We sow and invest and we, give our, and we sow into our children, our grandchildren. We sow into our neighbors. We sow into our church. We sow into the community like we did last Saturday. We sow into the world. And we're doing all these things. And we, this is kingdom work, Father, and I'm sowing it. But I'm not seeing any results. My kids are still rebellious. And my neighbors don't care about church. And I, I'm not seeing any results. Did it do any good? I didn't see the results. Often we don't see results. But, but sometimes, sometimes... We do. Uh, There's a wonderful uh, section in a book by uh, Chuck Swindoll who wrote uh, A Quest for Character. And in that, he tells about a teacher, Miss Thompson is her name, who invested the resources of her life in a little boy. I'd like to read it for you. Teddy Stallard certainly qualified as one of the least of these. Disinterested in school, Musty, wrinkled clothes, hair never combed. He was one of those kids in school with a deadpan face, expressionless, sort of glassy, unfocused stare. When Miss Thompson spoke to Teddy, 
He always answered in monosyllables and never made eye contact. Some of you teachers even now are thinking of those children that you know and you have seen in your life. Unattractive, unmotivated, and distant. He was just plain hard to like. Even though his teacher said she loved all the children in her class the same, down inside she wasn't being completely truthful. Whenever she marked Teddy's papers, she got a certain pleasure out of putting X's next to his wrong answers. And when she put the F's at the top of his papers, she always did it with a bit of a flair. She should have known better. She had Teddy's records and she knew more about him than she wanted to admit. The records read this way. First grade, Teddy shows promise with his work and attitude, and attitude but poor home situation. Second grade, Teddy could do better. Mother is seriously ill. He receives little help at home. Third grade, Teddy's a good boy, but too serious. He is a very slow learner. His mother died this year. Fourth grade, Teddy's very slow, but he's well-behaved. His father shows no interest. Well, Christmas came, and the boys and girls in Miss Thompson's class brought her Christmas presents. They piled the presents on her desk and crowded around to watch her open them with great excitement. Among the presents, there was one from Teddy Stallard. She was surprised that he had brought her a gift, but he had. Teddy's gift was wrapped in a brown paper bag. It was held together with scotch tape. On the paper were simple, written the simple words, For Miss Thompson from Teddy. When she opened Teddy's present, out fell a gaudy rhinestone bracelet with half the stones missing and a bottle of cheap perfume. The other boys and girls began to giggle and smirk over these gifts. But Miss Thompson at least had enough sense to silence them by immediately putting on the bracelet and putting on some perfume on her wrist. Holding her wrist up for the children to smell, she said, doesn't this smell lovely? And the children, all taking their cue from their teacher, readily agreed with oohs and ahs. At the end of the day, when school was over and the other children had left, Teddy lingered behind. He slowly came over to her desk and said softly, Miss Thompson, Miss Thompson, you smell just like my mother. And her bracelet looks really pretty on you too. I'm glad you like my presence. When Teddy left, Miss Thompson got down on her knees and asked God to forgive her. The next day when the children came to school, they were welcomed to a brand new teacher. Miss Thompson had become a different person. She was no longer just a teacher. She became, please listen to this phrase, she became an agent of God. She was now a person committed to loving her children and doing things for them that will live on past her. She helped all the children, but especially the slow ones, and especially Teddy Stallard. By the end of that school year, Teddy showed dramatic improvement. He had caught up with most of the children and was even ahead of some. She didn't hear from Teddy for a long time. Then one day, she received a note that read, Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know that I will be graduating second in my high school class. Love, Teddy Stallard. Four years later, another note came. Dear Miss Thompson, they just told me that I will be graduating first in my class at university. I wanted you to be the first to know. The university has not been easy, but I liked it. <laughs> Love, Teddy Stellard. Four years later. Dear Miss Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore Stellard, medical doctor. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know. I'm getting married next month, the 27th to be exact. I want you to come and sit where my mother would have sat if she were alive. You're the only family I have now. My father died last year. 
love, Teddy Stellard. Miss Thompson went to that wedding and sat where Teddy's mother would have sat. Sometimes you get to see the harvest that is sowed. And sometimes you don't. For some teachers, and you can ask, we have a number of teachers in our church. All of them know of Teddy Stallards. And maybe some of them have seen a Teddy Stallard in their life. Or maybe they have seen never a boy like this. Sometimes you get to see the harvest of what you sow. But sometimes you don't. A couple of weeks ago, um, Pastor Barb was telling us in staff meeting that she had an opportunity. She was teaching the uh, God Zone kids, which is the fourth and fifth graders. And the message for that day was around getting ready for Easter. And it was a message of salvation to invite the children to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And that day, five of those children said yes to God. And as she was recounting that story in our staff meeting, uh, Scott and David and I were deeply moved because uh, God had done a miracle in those children's life. And when she was telling the parents afterward, some of the parents, of course, had tears in their eyes because those parents had sowed seeds into their children. Those parents had done so many things. Other people in this church had sowed seeds in those, but Barb was privileged to be present when the harvest was complete. It's really hard to sow and sow and sow when you don't see the harvest. And James knew that was hard. And with uncharacteristic gentleness, and James has not been gentle with us, but with uncharacteristic gentleness, the word of the Lord for today, for every man and woman in this congregation, whoever sowed in hope, whoever sowed in faith, that they wanted to make a real difference in the kingdom, they wanted to help and heal and build into the kingdom, For those people that have never seen fruit, a word for you. And now the text. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, Or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So here James is speaking to those who are standing tall in Christ who are deciding to follow Jesus, deciding to yield their lives unconditionally to God. And those people who are are planting and sowing constantly into the kingdom, what they do with their children, their grandchildren, what they do at work, what they do at church, what they do in the community, all of their planting seeds into the kingdom. And four times, James says, be patient. I know it's hard to wait. I know it's hard not to see the fruit of what you're doing in the kingdom. But remember, the, 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 the kingdom is white into harvest. People are near the door. Be patient. Don't bail out. And we wonder, I wonder if it'll ever pay, pay off. I wonder if it'll ever pay off with my children or my grandchildren or the kids in my class or the kids in Sunday school, the people in my neighborhood. Now, the Greek word for patience is helpful here. 
It's a compound word. Macrothumia. Uh, the word macro means long. And uh, thumia comes from the Greek word thumos, which means explosive anger. Okay, explosive anger. So long time anger, that's patience. Don't let anger be quick and explosive right now, but long time anger. The frustration of, of sowing into the world, into the kingdom, and not seeing results, maybe with your children or your grandchildren. The frustration of sowing into a class of children at school and, and seeing that some of them are off the rails and off the tracks and being frustrated. The, 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 the patience that you need to sow into your neighbors and the people you work with, inviting them to church and them saying, no, 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 no. Be patient. Be patient. Be patient. God is good. Life is short. Eternity is long. But when doing life, and I don't know if this is the case for you, but for me, when doing life, it seems just the opposite. When doing life, I think that life is long and eternity is short. It's just kind of the sweet by and by. It's something I don't think about that much. But James reminds us, no, 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 life is short. That, that explosive anger that's in you because nothing seems to be happening around you or your, your life doesn't seem to be working. Be patient. Be patient. Don't bail out. That's the human tendency. And I think James would say that's pretty normal. That's pretty normal. You're experiencing pain and frustration in your life. You're, you're planting seeds in the kingdom and nothing seems to be happening. And yeah, you get tired of that. The human tendency is to bail out. But God is, is good. Four times in verses 7, 8, 10, and 11, God says, be patient. But here's the question I have, and this comes from an impatient person. That's me. The question I have is, okay, okay, be patient. How long? (laughs) Okay, God, how long? Uh, A day? Is a day enough, God? Because this really bothers me, what's happening in my life or what's not happening in people that I've... uh, I can't tell you as a pastor the number of people in my ministry that I poured my heart and my soul into and see them just walk away from God. There's nothing, you can ask Sherry, there's nothing that hurts me more than that. But then I have to stop and think, okay, be patient. Long explosion, long time, long time. Be patient. God is at work. God is at work. God is at work. So how long do I wait, Lord? A day? How about a month? Is that long enough? A year? Five years? No, the text says, until the coming of the Lord. And I go, you're kidding, right? Come on. You're kidding. You mean there are some times that people on this planet have to wait until the coming of the Lord to see any fruit? When you've poured seed and you've done everything you can, you invested in the kingdom, all the resources of your life, your time and your treasure, your talent, your love, all of it, you've poured it into the kingdom and nothing's happened? How long? Uh, that, that is just too far away. Now, there's teaching around this just for a moment, uh, this, until the coming of the Lord. Part of this tells us this, that it confirms something in us that we already know. That for some of us, we will not see the harvest or health or freedom from that pain until the coming of the Lord. Now, that's not good news for most of us. But, but it, let, me, uh, let me help you understand. That's what the Word of God says. There, there are some things. You, you think of Paul and his thorn in the flesh. You know, he says, God, if you take this thorn in the flesh away from me, I can serve you so much better. And what was Jesus' response to him? My grace is sufficient for you. For some reason, God wants to leave that thorn in your flesh. My grace is sufficient for you. 
Long time. Macrothumus. <laughs> Long time. Explosion. Just relax. Because I'm doing something in you that you don't even see. Sometimes we will not see the harvest or health or a freedom from pain until the coming of the Lord. Now, there's an interesting thing going on, and I, I didn't hear about it until Sherry told me about it. But how many of you heard about this um, May 21st, 2011 deal? How many of you? See, not very many. Okay, that's good. That means it's not affected or infected you. Uh, there's this group called Family Radio. Now, it's a Christian organization, but it's not Family Life Radio. That's very good ministry. You have that on your, what's the number? 90.3 on your uh, AM dial or your FM dial. Uh, so Family Life Radio is very good. But Family Radio, if you Google it, you'll find um, uh, Harold Camping. He's about 90 years old. He's been a minister for many years. And he is claiming absolutely as a fact for sure that May 21st, 2011, Jesus is coming back. And he's saying this. Abs- and he said, Christians that are poo-pooing this, and I'm one of those today, right? So, you know, I'm a target. You know, he says, especially Christian pastors who poo-poo this, they just don't know the Bible. Well, I, I kind of do know the Bible, and I kind of know the Bible says that the day and the hour, we're not going to know. And that's May 21st. So May 20th, he may come. May 22nd, good chance. But May 21st, you can relax that day. But, but here's, the, here's the deal. We have this sense inside of us that uh, Jesus is going to come again, and we should have that sense inside of us. It's called imminence. We should know and believe that at any moment, Christ could return. Just don't worry about May 21st. So, 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 so this teaching until the coming of the Lord is saying a very real thing. That you may not see the harvest in your life. That you've invested in the kingdom. You may not see anything until the coming of the Lord. Now that may be harsh, but that's, remember, life is short, eternity is long. Keep that in mind. That's the perspective of God. But there's something else we see in this teaching. We have been called by God to sow into a life of faith. We've been called to sow into a life of faith. But what that means is if you sow your life, your, 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 your time, your talent, your treasure, your relationships, if you sow all of that into the kingdom of God your entire life and you're faithful to God, you're standing tall in Christ, you're doing what He wants you to do, you're living a transformed life and you're sowing and you, and you see nothing, God says, well you're still sowing into life of faith. In other words, it's not important that we always see results. You're sowing in a life of faith. Like, and he says, take the example of the farmer. He waits for his precious produce. Now, the farmer does not stand there like this. Ask Brian Pollard. He grew up on a farm. And watch. If he's trying to watch the corn grow, it's not going to grow. You know? he's not, what, he, he keeps himself occupied, right? The farmer's doing farm things. I don't know what those are. But, it's, you know, well, well, but the crops are growing. He's done his work. He's planted the seed. And he's watered it. He's weeded it. He's, he's, he's sown into faith. He's sown by faith. And by faith, he's just believing that God's going to bring forth the increase whenever God says it's time. And so the farmer doesn't stand around waiting anxiously. He just believes. That, and what about you? What, what, have you invested in your, your children or a friend or a ministry or you pain in your body or something that needs to be healed and you wait and you wait and you wait and you say, Lord, how long? How long? He says, well, in one scenario, the coming of the Lord. And the other scenario is simply just do it in faith. Just do it in faith. Life is short. Eternity is long. He gives the example of the prophets. 
Now, when I read this, uh, the first thing I thought of, there's a lot of prophets and all of this is true of them. I thought of Jeremiah. Remember back in 2006, I, I did a whole series of sermons on Jeremiah that came out of my sabbatical in the summer of 2006. And, uh, and I, I just loved that study in Jeremiah. But here's the story of Jeremiah. Here was this man of God who was, uh, said, God, I can't do it. I'm a little child. I can't do it. But he said, no, no, I want you to do it. I want you to be a spokesman. I want you to be a megaphone for me. And, and, and I want you to tell the people uh, that, that they're in danger. I want you to tell them that I love them. I want you to tell them that they're on, 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 on thin ice. Be very careful. And, and you're, they're not going to like this message, Jeremiah. <laughs> they're not going to like And all of Jeremiah's life, he sowed the seed in faith. And we don't have any record of Jeremiah seeing anything good coming out of his ministry. Can you imagine living your whole life just pouring seed into the soil and nothing coming out of it? So in faith. Now, what he might not have seen was that, well, now Jeremiah, in about 3,000 years, there's going to be this guy in Chandler, Arizona. His name's Dwayne Cross. And he's going to be talking to a group of people in his church and he's going to be telling them about this amazing things that have happened since you proclaimed those things. How that God's people, many of them did turn back to you. How that really your message did change the world. And, 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 and Jeremiah, you just sowed seeds of faith. You didn't see it yourself, but you sowed seeds of faith. Sometimes you'll give your whole life and you'll not see any fruit. We have um, missionaries in Japan. When I first came into the covenant in the um, mid-70s, we had a group of missionaries in Japan, and Japan was a very difficult country to witness in in the mid-70s, and very, very few Christians in Japan. And these missionaries, I remember hearing their testimony, they spent their entire life doing mission work in Japan and never saw one convert. Their entire life, they poured out, they loved people, they bore witness for Christ, they planted seed, their entire, and they never saw one thing. Well, those missionaries are dead and gone. They, they, they're not here anymore. But the, the ministry in Japan is absolutely exploding. The underground church alone has millions of believers in it. Well, they didn't see the results, but the results God brought forth the increase. He says, well, how about Job? He gives the example of Job. Job lost everything. He lost his family. He lost his wealth. He was sitting there with boils all over his body and everything was bad. And God said to him, just be faithful, Job. Just be faithful. I know this is terrible. I know your heart is broken. I know everything looks terrible. But Job, I will repay you ten times. I will. I will. And in Job's case, right, he did see that. He did see that resurrection. He did see that ten times blessing. But here's the message here. Sometimes you're like Jeremiah and you see nothing for an entire life. Sometimes you're like Job. You go through pain and suffering. You plant so you sow the soil all of your life. And but at the end of your life, maybe you see some amazing things. And God says to us, sometimes you see results. Sometimes you don't. Short life, eternity long. We need an eternal perspective, investing, being patient. In verse 8, it says, strengthen your heart. Uh, The word there means to establish or prop yourself up with this truth. Strengthen your heart. Prop yourself up with this truth. The coming of the Lord is at hand. The coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, some of you would say, 
well, that May 21st thing sounds ridiculous. You know, Harold Camping and all of his camp, you know, and they're fundamentalists and what do they know? And we kind of, but you know what? Everybody's always scoffed around. I mean, just me saying, uh, talking about the second coming of Christ uh, a few minutes ago, some of you are saying, well, yeah, Dwayne didn't say May 21st, but he still talks about it. That's kind of ridiculous because we've been waiting for 2,000 years and Jesus hasn't returned. He's not going to return for a long, long time. Second Peter, that's what it says. The scoffers in Second Peter talks about that. In the Second Peter 3.8, we read these words. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. The Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Jesus Christ has been gone for 2,000 years. He's been gone for two days. He's at the door. He's at the door. Could be... Now, could be today. Not May 21st, could be today. Could be in the next moment. He's at the door. The coming of Christ is at the door. Now, it says the next event. Now, sometimes when we think, okay, well, the next event is my next tragedy or my next getting laid off or my next child going to college. We kind of think that's the next event and we're just all consumed with that. But in redemptive history, the next event, the last event was what happened 2,000 years ago. Uh, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was the, and the next event will be the second coming of Christ. The next event will be the second coming of Christ. Now, let me tell you what's to, what has to happen before the Lord returns. Pay, pay attention to this. What has to happen before the Lord returns? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. He, he can come right now. He's at the door. The trumpet will blow. The eastern skies will divide. He will come tomorrow. Or he will come in the next two days, the next 2,000 years. But he will come. The coming of the Lord, his arrival will be an event that we will not forget. Now, the, something that a lot of theologians don't talk about, and I discovered this in the, in the James text, and you see it in other parts of the Bible, that the coming of the Lord, that Advent, we know that the word Advent means Jesus came as a baby, right? And he's going to come again the second time. He's going to come in power. Um, but, but this idea of the coming of the Lord has another nuance, and that is this. That he's going to, someday he's going to come for me. My vapor day. My death day. The coming of the Lord, sometimes it's not, uh, for those of us who will be, uh, go through this life and die and, and uh, go and be with the Lord, that will be the coming of the Lord for us. Now, we'll miss the second coming of Christ, but the coming of the Lord will be for us my death day, my vapor day. And, and it says that there'll be weeping and howling that day for two groups of pe- for one group of people. Those people who have invested their life resources in things that those who have embraced the wealth and it has rusted to their soul, well, death is... Others, those of us who have invested faithfully, we've done it in faith, we haven't seen any, hardly any uh, uh, harvest. We've hardly seen anything good. We're still worried about our children, our grandkids, our, our neighbors, but we've been faithful when that day comes, when my Lord's day comes. If it's death, then there will be wide-eyed wonder. Wide-eyed wonder. God, I was faithful to you. I, I didn't see any fruit. And he said, but that's okay. You see, in that day, Romans 8, 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And for 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our light and momentary troubles are 
achieving for us an eternal glory that will far that far outweighs them all. See that that light and momentary affliction? We talk about that often. That light and momentary affliction, we say, well, that's a time when we're going to have surgery. Or that's a time when our kid is far away from God. Or that's a time when I'm out of work. That's not what it means. The light and momentary affliction is this life. (laughs) The whole thing. The whole 70, 80, 90, 102 years. It's this life. It's light and momentary affliction. It's a vapor. James says, stand tall in Christ. Now, last week we saw a big flat screen TV, right? And the good news of the, we talk about the judgment, the good news of the great white throne judgment is that our, 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 our works, our, our deeds, good and bad, are not going to be up on that screen because our lame, names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and therefore it will not be broadcast throughout heaven uh, on, on that screen about all of the things that we thought and did and said, and every time you think about that, it makes you feel kind of woozy. And oh no, God is going to see all of my heart and my wickedness and my sin. But we know because we're in the Lamb's Book of Life, that's not going to happen. But, but what if there was a big screen TV for believers? What, what if there was one for the redeemed? For those who are in Christ Jesus. For all of those cups of cold water that you gave, you sowed in faith. You never saw any results from it. Maybe you really were faithful to your children or you're faithful to your neighbor or a guy at work that you witnessed to. And you sowed all of those seeds. You you gave cups of cold water, but you never saw any result. What if that big screen TV was for those of the redeemed? Follow me for a moment. So there's this movie for Christians, for believers. Now there's this angel, audio-visual geek, geek guy. Um, you know, angels can be geeks too. And there's this angel that's running this movie and has the remote and says to you this. I want you to watch this. You see that, that kid, uh, you were at church uh, when you were, you know, uh, down at Hope Covenant Church and that kid walked by and you... Stop the kid and you said some encouraging word to that child in church. And, uh, and you didn't think anything of it because that's what you do. <laughs> you have a life in the Spirit of God and Christ is in you and you try to encourage people. You marvel at the power of the tongue to give life to people. And so you spoke a word to that child and you never thought any. Do you remember that kid, what you did that years, years ago? No, I don't, I don't remember anything about that. Well, let me show you what you could have never seen for yourself. And so he shows you on the movie that that kid, when you said that word of encouragement, that there was something in that kid's soul that got a little bit bigger. A little bit bigger. And that kid was a little bit more receptive to the words of Jesus. A little bit more receptive to what Pastor Barb would say in the children's area. Just just a little bit. God said, I want want to show you that because you've never never seen, you can't remember that event, but that's what someone with the life of God in them does which you never could have seen. That kid's soul began to grow. Well, I had no idea, angel. Well, I know that, but you planted seeds by faith. And, and then remember that time when your friend was dying and you were very uncomfortable about talking to your friend, and, but you did, and, and, and you didn't know what to say. You were kind of awkward and backward in talking to them, but your friend asked you to pray, and so you prayed this dumb little prayer, and you think about it, oh, what a stupid thing. I, I didn't pray very well, and it sounded awkward and sounded weird, and, and so I left my friend feeling kind of bad that I didn't do the right thing. The angel said, let me, let me show you what you could have never known. That when you said that dumb little prayer, that your friend, her soul, 
just got a little bit more prepared to meet the Master? I know it didn't seem like much from you, but, but that little bit, it made a difference. Or maybe it's, it's me and my big screen. And he says, Dwayne, let me show you something. Uh, back in the fall of 1966, when you were a freshman at San Diego State University, and your biology uh, teacher kept ranting and raving about, about anybody stupid enough to believe in God and stupid enough to believe in, in uh, creation, other, anything other than evolution. And, and as he was going on and on, he finally turned to the class, a class of 200 students, and said, do any of you people in here, are you claim to be Christians? Do any of you people believe in God and think that there's something other than evolution? In this anybody have the courage to stand up and say something? And Dwayne, do you remember when your hands were sweating and you're so embarrassed because you didn't want anybody to notice you? But you... But you just had you just had to declare your love for Jesus. So you stood up and you were literally shaking. And he said, You mumbled some things that sounded incoherent. <laughs> and nobody was blessed by what you had to say. And and you sat back down in a lump and feeling just terrible and awful. But Dwayne, let me show you something that you never could have seen for yourself. There were other students in that class that were Christians too. They didn't have the courage to stand up that day. But later, they had the courage to stand up. And there were other people in that class that maybe they thought, well, maybe there is something about Christianity. Maybe there is something that I've I've missed. And and what you couldn't have seen then, I want you to know that you planted seeds by faith. Or maybe you're looking at a picture of of what happened last Saturday and and you see a picture of, of Steve and Pete and Hector and Omar and Dave and Joyce and John and others that are painting the outside of a streetlight building. And it was just a, it was just paint and didn't cost much money from the church and just cost a little, you know, sweat. And yeah, we had a long day and we did our best, but you know, we'll, I don't know that it ever made any difference. Let me show you what you never could have seen before. Because a, a woman, a young woman was rescued from the streets of downtown Phoenix. She was trafficked in sex trade. And she was brought into this home and she looked at this home. She said, I've never seen a home more beautiful than this. I've never been in a house that was clean and fresh and painted. And that girl was so taken and she was loved by so many people that a few weeks later she gave her heart to Christ. And a few months after that, she was reconnected with her family and her life was transformed. I want you to see something that you could have never known when you did that silly little job of painting a building at Streetlight. And for those of you who went to the rest home last Saturday and you went there and you sang a few hymns, and you I wonder if this did any good and some of the residents were sleeping through the hymns and some had their nails painted and you said, well, that's not very spiritual. But, but let me show you something that you never could have seen on your own. That for some of those women there, they're... Hearts grew a little bit bigger and their soul was a little bit more prepared to meet the one that had redeemed them. Or Teresa gets, Teresa, I wanted to show you something when you were sitting there with your husband in the last moments of his life and you were telling him that you loved him and that he was your best friend and that soon he would be in the arms of Jesus. Let me tell you something, Teresa, that you never could have seen on your, on your own that that prepared Ed's heart just a little bit more to wake up into the arms of Jesus. And on and on and on. Remember that time that you passed out that card for Easter? Yeah, I know. In fact, you passed out 23 of those cards for Easter. And you mean a lot of people came to Christ as a result of that? No. (laughs) No, but uh, 
that you are faithful. And one person did come to the Easter service at Tumbleweed that you invited. And that person that did come, I didn't accept Christ that day, but they started thinking about their life. And down the road, when they attended a different church, they gave their heart to Christ. And, well, you just need to know that you made a difference in someone's life. And then I want you to know that when you were passing out those cards and everything that to another person that, well, well, did ten people come to know Christ because I invited them? No, <laughs> no. In fact, none of them came to Christ, I'm sad to say, the angel would say. But, but, but you're looking at the wrong thing. I want you to look into the faith space of the Father. And I want you to see the love he has for you and how proud he is of you. But you went out of your comfort zone and you passed out those silly little invite cards. You weren't embarrassed. Well, you were embarrassed, but you did it anyway. And yeah, they may not have had any impact in that particular moment, but I want you to look at the Father in heaven who's looking at you and saying, I'm so proud of you that you did something, that you stood tall in Christ, that you said, I want to make a difference in this world. I want to bear witness to the love of Jesus in the world. The last verse of our text says, The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I hope that movie is real in heaven. Thank you for giving to the Lord. Stand tall. Invest your life. Invest the resources of your life in the kingdom of God. The Lord is at the door. The time is short. Make your life count for the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. And thank you, Lord, for the belief that we are making a difference. We don't always see the results, but we are making a difference. And we pray, Lord Jesus, in the powerful name of Jesus, that you would help us to plant seeds, to sow into the harvest, to make a difference whether we see the results or not, to be faithful in giving ourselves to you. For we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.